Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. Good morning. Good morning. Hope everyone's enjoying the sunshine, slightly warmer temperatures. Just enough that we turned the heater off in the back back there this morning. Don't get to do that very often lately. Amen. If you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles, turn with me in your Bibles to Ezra chapter 3. Jalen read the beginning of the chapter for us. As we talk about our series, as we continue in our series, uh, the house that God is building. So remember... When you have a really good drama, a really good book, or a really good movie, you have this introduction in the beginning, right, where your characters are introduced, and then you have this conflict, and it kind of sets the tone, right? This conflict in the beginning of your book or the movie, all of you are readers, right? I'm the only one that's lazy and watches TV. But in the beginning of the movie, there's this conflict, and then there's this rising action that's going to head up to where everything's just going to be um, like this climactic event, right? And so here we are in Ezra chapter 3, and we know that Cyrus has freed the captives, or at least allowed the Israelites to go back, to go back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple. And we saw um, last week, next slide, that God was sovereignly building his team. And we talked about that for two weeks. Um, Next slide. There was something, and the reason I put this slide back up here was I had this this wonderful introduction and a quote for you um, that's probably sitting on my dining room table at home printed out um, with my copy of my slides this morning. But, But I thought there was a reason why... All of chapter 2 listed over 42,000 people who were returning. So, you know, the Levites were the temple servants, and then there were the priests. Um, They were all coming back, or several of them, hundreds of them were coming back. But the majority of this 42,000 people who were going back to um, Jerusalem to rebuild the temple were just regular folk. They were working folk. They were families. They were going to return to their original homes, many of which, thousands of which, lived in the towns, you know, around Jerusalem but outside. And then the city folk, you know, who were, lived in Jerusalem. And they were going back to repopulate their homeland where they had not been for 70 years. But again, 42,000 people, the majority of them were people just like me and you. We talked about the prophets, we talked about the priests, Zerubbabel, the governor, these were all of their leaders. And remember, we talked about some of the points of good leadership, and we're going to see some more of that this morning. But the reality is, it's the people who were in a covenant relationship with their God. They were trusting God and believing God for something great. And many of them, I'm sure, had a lot of fears and concerns. There was going to be danger in traveling. Cyrus had secured their safety because he was the king, 
And if they had the king's signet and they had the king's papers, technically no one should mess with them, but it was still a long and dangerous journey. And there was still a lot of the unknown ahead of them. Uh, I remember um, before we purchased a building here, I may have told you this. If so, later on you can tell me. I already told you. Don't tell me now. Uh, that Diane and I were sitting and having a conversation um, with my boss, and really he's just a godly man whom I trust. And we were talking about whether or not as a little teeny mission church we should buy this big old raggedy building. And, and honestly, he said, Charlie, what's wrong? He said, what's, what's, the, what's the biggest thing that could go wrong? And I'm like, duh, we could fail, you know, lose all our money, not finish the building, be a failure, and not have a church. He said, is that all? <laughs> and, and so basically he was like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? If God is calling you, you're trusting the Lord, you know, you have to decide whether or not you're going to do this thing, right? But he was like, Man, what's the worst thing that could happen? And then he said, is that all? I'm like, yes, Michael, that's all. It would just be an utter failure, money down the drain. But, but that's not how we trust the Lord, right? And I think Michael was encouraging us. Hey, is God giving you this vision? Hey, is God opening these doors? Hey, is God calling you to move forward and do this scary, if not dangerous thing, right? And so, and so I thought about this, and I didn't want, to want us to rush through the fact we talked about the prophets, these great men of God. We heard the gospel. Of all things, we heard the gospel from the prophet Haggai last week, right? When God said, I'm going to take these filthy rags off of you and put these clean white robes in a clean white turban. Why? Because I have taken away your iniquity. And remember what he said? I'm going to send my branch, capital B. In other words, the Savior, Messiah, Jesus Christ. So God said, here's a picture. I'm going to cleanse you, but this is a picture of what I'm going to do in the future through the Savior. So we heard the gospel preached last week, but it was the everyday people who worshiped God, the everyday people who were, had been in captivity and away from their homes for almost 70 years. And with all of their fears and all of their trepidation and, you know, a long journey and how many of these people, you know, the families had children and young kids and they were going to pack it all in and go back to live in a place where they did not know if it was safe. We're going to learn in a few minutes that there were Jews who were left behind who had been there all along. And we're going to see a challenge with that. But nonetheless, this beautiful thing of God's covenant people, you and me, God's everyday people doing God's work. God takes ordinary people and does extraordinary things. Why? Because we have an extraordinary God. That's what I wanted us to get and not leave behind from last week. Okay, next slide. So now we're moving on this week. So this week we're calling, this week we're calling it under construction. The Israelites have traveled back. They're settling into their new temporary homes. They're, we're in Ezra chapter 3, and the building is going to begin. But there's something... There's something that's going to be done first. Um, it says, when the seventh month came, um, next slide. So the work begins with unity and obedience. The work begins with unity and obedience. We talked about 
You know, Paul talked about this in the book of Romans. We talked about why unity in the church is so important. So, well, Charlie, how do you get that? It says the sons of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. So even though they'd all gone back to their homes in their old hometowns, um, um, they were all called back to Jerusalem as one. So they were meeting, they were having a Baptist meeting to get ready for the work. So you see Joshua, his brothers, Zerubbabel, they're all getting together here and they're doing something. And how do we know, how do we know that, um, you know, this level of obedience, this thing about obedience that we're talking about, it says the very first thing that they did was built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. But watch this. As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So the people come together as one in unity. Number two, they check. They, they read and know the word of God. This altar is going to be rebuilt according to the word of God. Everything that they were going to do was going to be according to the word of God. In other words, if we do this this way, we won't mess it up. If we build our church, if we love one another, if we live our day-to-day -day lives in obedience, we won't mess this thing up. Why? Because we're living our lives according to the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. The Word of God is our guide. The Word of God, whether written or spoken, they had it written at that time, mostly spoken, oral tradition. Hey, guys, guess what? If we do this the way God's man Moses said it should be done, we won't mess it up. If you and I wake up every day and there are days this week I didn't do it, I just didn't, and say, you know what? As it is written in the word of God, so I will do today. It's not as religious as it sounds. Basic obedience is there are some things that we just know we should be doing every day, right? The, the uh, Working with the thoughts in my head, the condition of my heart, how I treat people that I come into contact with, the words that come out of my mouth. Are these things bringing honor and glory to God in my day-to-day -day life? That's just living in obedience to the word of God. Are there some other things like, yeah, maybe, you know, I shouldn't steal something out of my friend's house. Um, maybe, maybe I should do my schoolwork when I go to school because the teacher says, hey, do this. And maybe it's a sin for me to say, no, I'm not going to do it. There are some things that are basic obedience we know we should be doing. And then there are some other things that are issues of the heart where God is growing us. I don't want to overdo this, but this end of verse 2 is so important to me where this is where I fall down and, or this is where I get it on, on, on a daily basis as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Now listen, we won't be making ourselves aware of these things if we never interact with the word of God during the week. We can't interact with the word of God on Sunday and think we're going to make it through the week living for Jesus. So they realize this. Nonetheless, unity and obedience. So we knew a couple of things. We know a couple of things. This building of the altar, the building of the temple, the building with good leadership. We see Joshua. He has the priest. Zerubbabel is the governor. And these guys, they say, we're going to do this according to the word of God. And then the people, they, they had a pretty good idea what that is, what that was. So they were going to hold them accountable, but you had godly leaders. 
So this project was going to begin with good leadership. And how do we know? Because they were going to do it according to the word of God. We see that again right there. Building through authentic worship. Listen, we'll see in verses three through six here, the very first thing they did was rebuild the altar. We'll also see building in spite of their fears in verse three. I'm going to put those two together because I know I won't keep them separated if I start talking, but they were sent to rebuild the temple, but the first thing they did, many of these people had not been able to offer sacrifices according to the law of Moses, according to the word of God for almost 70 years. Almost 70 years they had not been able to worship God the way they wanted to. The first priority was worship. First priority was worshiping God. And so, oh good. <laughs> and so, I, I think we can learn from that our first priority, both in my daily life, but also as a group, as a group of uh, Christians who are followers of Jesus, our first priority must be worship. And these people were giving sacrificially, right? It says they, were, they began to do the worship the way they had done it in the past. They were offering burnt offerings in the morning, burnt offerings in the evening, free will offerings during the day. Look, this was not a nice, neat little thing like when we bring up our tithes and offerings. They had to kill the animal. There was blood, smoke, fire, the smell of burnt animals. There was all kinds of messy stuff going on here. It required a lot of people. It required religious exercise and prayers. And look, they were going all in. They hadn't been able to do this for 70 years. Do I worship God with all my heart on a regular basis? Or do we worship God together as, as his family? But again, here... Now, here is what I missed, and this is really cool. Verse 3. So they set up the altar on its foundation, for they were terrified because of the people of the lands. I thought they were terrified of all the non-Jewish people around them who might see the smoke, smell the offerings, and come after them. And, and, and that could possibly be true, because, but, but I don't think that's right. Watch this. There were... And I believe, I really believe this now, um, not just because smart people said it and I accidentally found it, but um, there were people who had been there the whole time that were not brought to Babylon. They were under the rule of the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians, but they got to stay there. They probably had a temporary altar there, you know, like they probably had some like flim flam altar there after all their stuff had been demolished. And they had probably been making some type of sacrifices to the best of their ability. Um, and so all the captives come back and these people who were already there, they probably, they tore down their little flim flam altar. And, and we get the gist of it here because they say, they set up the altar on its foundation. So on its original foundation from where it had been, it is most likely that they tore down the flim flam altar that the other people had built. And some of their own people, both Jews and um, Samaritans, because remember, a lot of Jews had generations of mixed marriages. They became the Samaritans. We'll do that a whole nother time. It was probably people who knew each other, the exiles coming back and the people who had been there the whole time that they were terrified of. Why? Because they said, oh, look, we're coming back to do this thing right. Y'all been doing this little flim flam thing over here. Well, look, God told us to come back and do it right. They tear it down. And that 
is most likely who they were terrified of. I did not realize that. So this is so so now it's not just being terrified, but it's possible conflict. Possible conflict. Clue in the rising action. Next episode, not today. Okay. So verse three is so they're building through authentic worship, but they're building in spite of their fears. You know how sometimes we say, I'm just gonna push through? You know, sometimes that is a good thing. Now, pushing through one's fears to get to the other side, yes, and I will say, while do it trusting the Lord that he's the one bringing me through to the other side, but this is what they were doing. They knew that they were going to face some type of opposition at some point in time. Next week's episode. But, but so they had to push through their fears. The journey was dangerous. They had to push through their fears in order to get there. They might, they might get some opposition when they start to do the new thing. Why? Some people don't like change. Some people don't like change. And you're coming to change everything. So building in spite of their fears required courage. For you and me, building, growing, changing, all those words we don't like sometimes, pushing through requires courage because we're doing it in spite of our fears. What happens if I try to push through and I fail? What happens if I try to push through and, and I get some opposition from other people who don't want me to grow or don't want change? See, so all this was going on in their hearts and in their heads, building in spite of their fears. I, I think that's very relevant as well. And then we're going to see, so we see that in verses 3 through 6. But in verse 7, we're also going to see that the building requires careful planning. So they did some things. So from, if I go back to verse 6 and say, from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer these burnt offerings of the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid so a certain amount of time, and I think if I did my math correctly, from the time they arrived till the time they laid the foundation of the building was seven months. So I think for seven months, they, were, they built the altar and they made these sacrifices and it was seven months before they laid the foundation of the new temple. So what did they do? They gave money to the masons and carpenters, food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and Tyrians to bring cedar wood from Lebanon. So look, look, they had to, they had to call for the concrete truck to come. They had to cave in the ceiling. They had to order the new trusses um, that had to be manufactured and delivered on a big long truck. They had to call BG&E to try to get power hooked. Man, they had all kinds of work to do. So. They had to make plans, actually, and it's interesting. So Tyre and Sidon, even all the way back to the time of David, was where you got all your good lumber. It was north on the coast of Jerusalem. And so they would literally cut down the trees and they would float them down the river to a certain point, ocean and river or river, to a certain point, And then they would bring it in to where the lumber. So this was a big ordeal. So they had to measure, have the lumber, send up, order the lumber, and they had to give those guys, oh, and because of the nature of the land in Tyre and Sidon, they couldn't grow crops. So instead of giving them cash, instead of writing a check, they would take them food, oil, and, and drink things that they needed that they couldn't manufacture themselves. But they had the best lumber in the, in the area, right? 
And so all of this stuff had to be ordered to relay the foundation to the temple. So this required, as some of you might be construction people, this, was, this required good leadership, right? All this had to be laid out, plans had to be made, hard work was going on, the building required careful planning. And you know, maybe a sneak peek, but there's a point here where it took them a lot longer to build this temple than it's gonna take us to build our building, amen? So when I worry, when, when I complain about how long this has taken, it didn't take nearly as long as it was going to take these guys. And we've had our own kind of opposition here, but not like what these guys are going to experience. Scenes from next week. Okay, so here we go. They're building with good leadership according to God's word. They're building or, or they're having authentic worship in the process. They're, they're pushing through their fears. They have good leaders who are planning carefully. Next slide. So number two, we're going to see the important work of a good foundation. We're going to see the important but literally and maybe even metaphorically, but certainly literally here, right, in verses 8 through 10. The important work of a good foundation. So in the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, that's where I got the seven months from the beginning of the chapter to there, Zerubbabel, say that four times real fast, the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua, which is really Joshua, and the rest of the brothers, the priests came. Okay, they all got there. They showed up to work. All right, yeah, long verse. But what they did, they assigned people to be supervisors. Verse 9, Joshua with his sons, brothers, and repeat the whole thing again, um, they were going to oversee the, uh, the workmen in the temple of God. So you have carpenters, you have craftsmen, you have um, the masonry guys, the, and then you have the supervisors. It, must, it looks like it might have been a, a kind of a government job. They had lots of supervisors, right? Yeah, I won't make any jokes today. And so they were going to carefully supervise this work. Why? So that it's done according to the law of Moses as it is written. And they were going to rebuild this temple. But again, the important work of a good foundation. Next slide. So here we go. I could tell you a couple of things. Um, one, selecting the right supervisors. The Levites were going to be the servant temples when it was all... The, the temple servants, yes, use your words, when it was all done. So what did they do? They had the Levites supervise the work because they knew how it was supposed to be built. They knew what, they knew what, it, what the result was supposed to be, and they were also going to be the temple servants that served in this temple that was being built. Pretty cool. And then we're going to see, so we see, beginning to see, roles and responsibilities in the division of labor. It's interesting, when we got here, there was a big conversation when we caved in the ceiling and there was just four walls here in this whole big area, that whether or not the walls would just go boop, boop, and fall down. And so one guy came in and he said, oh yeah, you got to dig a big, long, deep hole and you got to put up a whole nother row of cinder block. And we waited for the guy to leave and we said, man, this guy's drinking the wrong Kool-Aid. We are not doing all that work. And then we said, well, what if we cave the roof in and the walls go like this? And then we won't be making jokes about this guy anymore. So the foundation was very important. How this was going to work became very real to us. We also had to literally, I don't know if you observed or knew about this, we had to go down into the basement of our building. And if you haven't been down there, you should go. It's a treat. Um, don't go right now. 
And we literally had to go down into this basement and dig holes, bust up the concrete that was down there and dig holes, and then take all the dirt and concrete out in five gallon buckets, literally bucket brigade, all the dirt and stuff out. Then we had to um, do this, um, we had to put rebar in all the holes, and then we shoved a cement truck chute down our old coal chute into the basement, and we did another bucket brigade, five gallon buckets out of a cement truck, and filled 12 of those holes all the way down the basement, refilled, why am I telling, because the foundation's really important. And then we had to go and put $5,000 worth of steel, special made lolly columns all the way down the middle of the basement on top of these joists that we almost killed each other with, lifting them up to the, six of us, lifting them up to the ceiling and putting the lolly columns under there. Why? Because we didn't want our floor to cave in when we started using the building. So, so some volunteers came in and did all of that crazy work with us and for us. It was really crazy too. And it's not as dirty and scary down there anymore as it used to be, but, but we had the foundation had to be right. That part of our building where we had to do that is 100 years old. Makes sense, right? We obviously did this part right. It hasn't fallen down yet, but, but, but we got yet. But, but we got good advice. We even got advice from multiple places and people, and then we settled on that. Why? Because the foundation is pretty darn important. Anyway, I hope I didn't overdo that. But uh, selecting the right supervisors, having the right people on the job, you know, even like here at Graffiti, God sent us two, um, two project managers that, I mean, gosh, I don't know, would have costed eighty dollars or $100,000 to have a project manager. And God sent us volunteer project managers who have made this thing happen. So we talk about roles, responsibilities, and division of labor. We see that going on here in the Word of God. God's people, they had the right people in the right places doing the right thing. God provided uh, for their needs to rebuild God's house. So again, um, led me to think, know your role, stay in your lane. I'm a pastor. I'm not a construction professional. I don't play one on TV. So when our project managers tell me to do something, I do it. They say, Charlie, we're getting ready to spend a whole bunch of money. You need to go get some, find some more money. And I said, yes, sir, we will do that. I can do that in Jesus' name. Um, there are no banks missing money in this area. <laughs> Not that I took anyway. So, but know your role, stay in your lane. God provide, is providing professionals. We have, we have partner churches, one is one is not just um, financing the entirety of our electricity, but provided the electric company to do it. Another church partner has provided um, a mechanical company, a plumbing company, to do all of our entire plumbing, and we haven't spent a nickel on plumbing yet. Why? God provided. God put people in the right place at the right time that God wanted for graffiti to exist. Yeah, man, that's right. So know your role, stay in your lane. That's what I learned this week. Uh, next slide. Uh, ooh, I like that slide. <laughs> Progress in the work reveals mixed emotions. This was real, and I'm not even sure why this is impacting me the way it is. No, pretty picture. There we go. Verses 11 through 13 here in chapter 3. This is really something. So the foundation is laid. It gets done. And... 
So this is why I love um, narrative, by the way. I, I love to tell stories. It's so much more fun. Um, so what did they do to have a party? The builders had laid the foundation of the temple. The priests stood in their apparel. And the Levites, the sons, symbols, praise the Lord, according to the directions of King David of Israel. I left that in the previous section under number two. Why? Because they were all doing what the word of God said. And they were preparing um, to worship God. It was a celebration. But verse 11 through 13 reveals something. So they're doing the right thing. They're praising God. The foundation for the building is laid. So we've built the altar. The foundation is laid. We're making progress. We're making, when this brick went up here and the glass went in there, and then when another partner um, donated $6,000 for our door next door, and this was getting framed, I was like, man, we're making progress. I was excited. I need to be excited again. But we were making progress. So here's what happened. They sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout. They praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. The foundation was built. They were praising God. Here we go. Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' households, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted aloud for joy. So literally, verse 12 said, the old heads, all the old heads, I, ver, it's a, no. all the old heads were weeping and lamenting, and everybody else was cheering and praising God, and you could hear both sounds, and they said it was this overwhelming sound that they'd never heard before. Why? Because the old guys, the old heads, had seen the first temple. They had seen the glory of the Lord. They had seen, they got to see the pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. This temple that was being rebuilt was smaller. It was, it, by their thinking, it was not going to have the same glory that the old temple did. Now, I'm not going to be critical of these um, of these old fathers uh, that had seen the first temple. I'm not going to be critical of the old heads here because, because they were mourning, and, and I'm still trying to figure this out, because they had ex generations, two generations or a generation before they had experienced the height of Israel's glory, right? Their strength, they were free, they were worshiping God, this big, beautiful temple that Solomon had built. And now they had been in exile for 70 years. And these old heads were probably some of the, probably, but not certainly, could have been some of the people who were left behind. But maybe some of the old heads came out with the families from captivity. And then just being there again was so emotional. They were having all these memories of what, it, what Israel's glory was before. The, all these memories of, of God's glory in the previous generation. And you know how sometimes old people say, oh, it's not like it used to be. I long for the good old day. Me personally, I don't long for the good old day. I, I don't. I don't. Um, and, and I'm getting a little older. I, I don't. There's not those days that I want to hearken back to. I, I don't want to go back. Maybe I'm weird. I don't know. But these guys were mourning. And so some 
were worshiping and excited and cheering because they had been released from this captivity. They were going to get to make sacrifices and worship God, rebuild the city, rebuild the temple. Yes, it's going to be different. It's going to be good. And the old heads are saying, oh, oh, well, God, we're not, it's, it's not going to be like it was in the old days. So, so it was mixed emotions. So even when something good is going on, sometimes there will be mixed emotions. And, 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 and we ought not judge um, those who feel differently than we do. And, and as I'm coming up, I mean, that's, that's the best thing I'm coming up with is having compassion for the old heads here when I read this because, uh, because they longed for the glory of God too. And they had experienced it in their generation long, long ago before the exile, before the captivity. So while I don't fully understand this yet, there was something very moving. If someone ever creates a movie and they can get this scene right, it will be, it will rock the movie. That the sound was different. The sound was overwhelming because you could hear the cheering and worshiping and the mourning all at the same time mixed together. And I'm still trying to figure out why that moved me the way it did. But so the people were grateful and we see here, and I love I love verse 12, I think, uh, verse 11, I think I texted Morgan when I was studying the other day. They sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, Lord, you are good for your mercy endures forever. I'm hearing the song, right? I'm like, you go, Morgan. Here, I'm hearing the song. They sang, praising God because his mercy is upon Israel forever. Follower of Jesus, God's mercy is on you forever. Why? Because he saved you and he chose you and he loves you and you responded and now you're his child. God's mercy will never be removed from you if you're a follower of Jesus. And the people shouted with a great shout. And so they were, they were responding with mixed emotions. And then verse 13, this is it. So that the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far away. People, I think, who were not even part of what was going on in Jerusalem could hear the echoes of the people and were wondering what in the world was going on. And so now, this is a great day. We have this, we have this rising action here and it's a great day, a time of celebration. The temple is being rebuilt. The people are in unity. They're responding in obedience to God. And then all of a sudden, it kind of brings it down a little bit. Some of the old fathers of the families were weeping at the same time. But the work has begun. The foundation is laid. God is faithful. The people are living in obedience and we're moving forward. And so as I gave you some, as I gave you some takeaways, you know, throughout the three, three points here, I, I, I just want to say this, I, God does provide leadership for his church. I think God is calling us, um, even this small group, to worship him, to obey him, and to strive for unity in the church while God is both building his team here and building his building here. You are already doing those things because you choose to be here, even in a dusty, unfinished room, worshiping God. 
hoping for the future and being faithful at the same time. So I encourage you in that way. And as followers of Jesus, you're worshiping, giving God glory and praying for God to move this forward. God will continue to provide leadership through, through many of you and then through others that he will send to us too. And then don't forget, each and every one of you is important. Each one of you matters to the work of God here. We are part of the 42,000, right? The people who are in covenant relationship with God, living in obedience to God, and, and working alongside one another. So I hope that today is a message of encouragement to you. Uh, we'll pray. And certainly, you know, if like me, sometimes we make assumptions about this living in obedience part. Um, and, 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 and sometimes we can neglect our spiritual disciplines or as it is written in the word of the Lord part. Uh, that's where I was convicted this week. You don't have to be convicted there just because I was. But this living in obedience is doing life um, as it is written according to the word of God. Or whatever your challenge may be, let's go to the Lord. Father God.